Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Francesco Amesbury. How are you doing, Francesco? Buonasera, Sam. I'm, uh, I'm well, thank you. Yeah, good to have you on. And uh, recording this on Tuesday night, uh, a little bit frustrating in that there's a midweek round. So, uh, you know, I think game's coming thick and fast in Serie A. But first of all, we're going to touch on uh, sort of the big game from the weekend, uh, which was Napoli-Lazio Sunday night. Um, it had been a tricky week for Napoli. Uh, they lost their unbeaten record in the league against Inter, lost in the Europa League against Spartak Moscow. But on the anniversary of Maradona's first death, they, his first death, the first anniversary of his death, sorry, they, um, they put in a spectacular performance, didn't they? 4 0 win. Um, what did you make of that game, Francesco? We, we spoke to Joe Fischetti last week, who's, who's a big Napoli fan, and he told us that after the, the Inter result, uh, he was. He was probably not not so wor- so worried about the the result of that game, but the fact that they'd lost a couple of players, and it seemed like Napoli were in a bit of a difficult situation. And I think we both kind of agreed with him. And so this result, and I think the manner of it, the performance, which I think is probably even though they were missing Osimhen and and Giso have been so important for them this season, but I'd say that this was probably their best performance of the entire season so far. Uh, I think says a lot about how good this team is. Um, and it's a great response to to what has been a difficult week. I thought they, they were excellent. I think we were all, you know, justifiably thinking what might happen, you know, when you're missing Aussie men. Uh, but I do feel like Mertens came in and, and was brilliant. I also think that this is the best Jelinski's played in a, in a while. So I don't think that... Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're missing those players yet. And I think it does show that that they have depth uh, to this squad. And also that Spalletti, you know, is a, is a good manager. I think they played in a different way on the weekend to, they have been play- to the way they have been playing so far this season. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people have been saying it's, it's, it was more reminiscent of the, of the Roma sides that Spalletti had when, when he did used to play with that, you know, like a main number nine. Uh, so yeah, I think it was it was really impressive from Napoli, and um, you know the fact that they're top of the league on their own now, um, yeah, it, it, very very positive. You mentioned that that striking issue for Napoli, um, with obviously Osimhen's been their been their first choice this season. When he got injured last week, I think we we're initially thinking he might be out for one to two months. It turns out it's going to be three months. Mertens came in this weekend and scored two and was just in in general brilliant, wasn't he? But are you confident that he can keep that up for a three month period, or are there perhaps concerns that he may lack consistency? You know, he's he's now into his mid thirties, so ca- can he do what Osman did in the first three months? Basically, I think when Mertens plays, they they are probably going to have to play slightly differently, um, but that isn't necessarily a bad thing in terms of the player himself. Like I've already said, I, I had some reservations about how Napoli might fare without Aussie men, but um, I was probably underestimating or, or forgetting how good Mertens is. You know, he is the top scorer in the club's history. I think he's on 139 goals for Napoli now, so he's he's well clear of Maradona. Um, and he has been consistently good for Napoli for, you know, for six or seven years now. 
um, you know, the reason he's he's not been playing as much this season is much more to do with how good Aussie men's been and not with how good he is. Um, I understand what you're saying. He is a little bit older now, and possibly that might affect him if he have to if he has to play game after game. But I do think that Napoli have other options. Um, you know, if if they were having to rely on Petagna for the for the whole time Aussie men was out, I, I'd be a bit concerned. But the fact that they've got Mertens. And if they need to, they can use Petagna as well. Um, you know, I'm feeling a lot more optimistic about Napoli going into this part of the season where we expected them to lose Oshiman anyway to the to the African Nations Cup. Uh, it turns out he's going to be missing for two or three months. But but this performance and the way that Mertens came into the team seamlessly and the way that the team seemed to respond to that very well does make me think that they can carry on the form that they've had so far. Yeah, so last thing I wanted to touch on with Napoli is that I, I sort of heard over the past week this sort of comparison to Sari's last season at Napoli where they got off to this amazing start and it looked like they were going to, you know, end Juve's dominance and, and it sort of fell away a bit towards the end and they ended up, I think, about four points adrift or something. Are you now confident that they're firmly back on track and can can keep this going throughout the season and, and really push on to win the Scudetto this year? I think Napoli have a very good chance. And at this stage of the season, they are probably, you know, I'd say they have more of a chance than they did in that season. It felt like in that season, whilst they played really well, probably, well, I'd say undeniably the best football in the league, you always had the feeling that that Juve side was stronger and that Napoli had to be almost perfect to win the league. It feels like this season they have a more complete squad and probably they aren't up against uh, one side that is significantly better than them. I mean, there is an argument to say that, that Inter and Milan and, and even Atalanta are kind of on a par and, and maybe arguably a little bit better in some areas than Napoli, but I wouldn't say that any of those sides is significantly better than Napoli. So it does feel like they... You know, it feels like they have as good a chance as anyone, uh, I'd say, right now. And I now want to move on to to the other side of things, because we were talking about Sarri just then, and he is now in charge of Lazio. They've had a few hammerings away from home, haven't they, Lazio? Obviously against Verona and Bologna and now Napoli. How concerning was this weekend's performance? Do you think they were really bad? Napoli were outstanding or, or a little bit of both? I think this weekend was much more about Napoli than it was about Lazio. Um, it felt like an inspired performance by Napoli and the fact that they were able to score so early on and then and then score again, you know, that, that is always going to kind of change the way a game feels and goes, I think. Um, but, you know, having said that, this Lazio side do seem to have some issues with consistency. They were really good in, the, in midweek. Uh, they won their... Europa League game three 0 and they put themselves in an ex excellent position in Europe, and uh, and yeah, they were completely outplayed by Napoli. It's probably more a reflection of of where these two these two teams are at the moment. Um, you know, if you look at it, Napoli are a better side than Lazio, and it felt like they really performed at an extremely high level. So, you know, I was a lot more concerned about the Verona and Bologna performances, which I think Lazio did seem to get over. 
and hopefully this is just uh, just one of those games where you, you come up against a good side and they and they outplay you and they can get can get back on track. I do feel like things were starting to come to together for for Sarri and Lazio before this game, and I don't really have any reason to believe that that's all gone just because of this one defeat. Yeah, they'll get the chance to bounce back quickly, of course, with it being a midweek round. Um, I now want to move on to Milan, who've been neck and neck with Napoli throughout the season at the top of the table. But that they lost for the second league game on the trot this weekend. And and I think this this was a more damaging defeat than the Fiorentina one. Um, they, they went 1-0 ahead against Sassuolo at home, but ended up losing 3-1. So particularly with this coming off the back of a win in midweek, actually, in the Champions League against Atletico Madrid. What went wrong for you this weekend? I think it's... I don't know if it's the fact that, for me, Milan, compared to the other teams that are up there, compared to Inter and Napoli, I would say have a slightly weaker squad. And um, it's almost as if, for them to stay there they have to be they have to redline all of the time they have to be at their best and uh, it's quite an exertion it, it feels a bit like that to me and there is always the possibility that this perf- kind of performance can come along um i thought sassuolo were excellent and i do think that sassuolo are a tricky side to play against they they do have that ability to turn up and and really play well you know they're not the first team Milan not the first team that Sassuolo have done this to. They've done this a few times to Inter over the years. They've also beaten Juve away from home this season already. We know they're a good side. The thing that's concerning for me about this performance was how much the Milan players seem to lose their way in the second half. So once once you go behind, even even if they end up losing that match and kind of you know sticking with it to the end of the game, you know that's not so bad. But the fact that a couple of the players seem to lose their head, you know, the way Romagnoli got sent off, I think Teo Hernandez was lucky to stay on because he had a reaction to a foul and, and should probably have received a yellow, second yellow. And it felt like they all kind of, you know, in that second half, they lost their way completely, Milan. Um, and in the bigger picture, that that does ring some alarm bells for me. I think if you compare the... Because Milan and Napoli over the last couple of weeks, they've had very similar results. Um and it feels like Napoli, with the performance that they had this weekend, they really, you know, made a statement about how we're not going away. We are here for the long haul and, and we have the quality and the ability to do it. And with Milan, it was it was almost the opposite. It, it felt like, you know, we're feeling the heat here and, and you can see it in the way the players reacted. Um, I mean, obviously, we don't know if that's really true, but that is the kind of impression that that Milan gave this weekend. And you mentioned Romagnoli there. Um he, he opened the scoring in this game with a well-taken header from a corner. Uh, I've defended him a lot in the past. I think he's a, he is a good player, but he had a shocker this weekend, didn't he, to be honest? Uh, got, got sent off and, and, and was at fault. Um, you know, there, there's been a sort of meme going around on Twitter of him head-planting the floor for Berard, for one of Berardi's goals. Um, well, Berardi's goal. Um, what... What, at the moment, he's got this contract situation where it seems that he's quite keen to renew. Do you think that Milan should keep him on board or do you think he's really sort of lost his way in the last 12 months and, and maybe can't offer as much as, as we once thought he could? I would keep Romagnoli. Um, you know, when you make such a, a mistake that, that creates such memeable content, everyone loves a faceplant. Um, I think 
things get blown out of proportion. I, I agree with you that this weekend he was he was poor, but to say that he was significantly worse than some of the other players that you know some of the other Milan players, I wouldn't say that was true. I think a few of those guys had really terrible games, and I think that. Romagnoli has, uh, you know, since Tomori's come in, I'd say that he's rightly taken his place because of how good Tomori's been and Kier has been excellent as well. So it's understandable that Romagnoli came out of the team, but it wasn't necessarily because of anything he was doing wrong. It's just that those two players have been in excellent form. And I'd say that a similar thing happened to Romagnoli last year. Uh, you know, a key point of the season, they played the Milan derby and in that game, he had a poor game and, and Lukaku took him to pieces. But generally, I'd say that Romagnoli's, uh, you know, play has been fine. I can't remember any other significant matches where he's been terrible. It's just a couple of times over over a couple of seasons. And um, considering right now that he's probably just a reserve for their first two centre-backs, I'd, I would keep him. I think he's a good defender. I don't think there's, you know, I'd, I've seen a couple of uh, some of the reaction online to, to this weekend and people are talking about it as, him as if he's complete rubbish. I, I don't agree with that at all. I think he's he's solid and he's still quite young. I don't see any reason to get rid of him. I mean, it depends on how much money he wants, obviously, and Milan might might be considering that as well. But for me, I'd keep him. I, I think he's a he's a good, solid uh, defender. I guess that the the one concern for Milan is that last weekend they had Gabbia in defence, now Romagnoli and and these sort of reserve centre backs, as you say, aren't really stepping up. So so that is is a bit of an issue for them. Yeah, I mean the the other thing about that is, to me, Milan were excellent against Atletico Madrid, and you know there he's playing against Suarez and Griezmann and other top European attackers, and I thought Romagnoli was you know, had a quality game. I didn't see anything wrong with that. So it's not like he's been rubbish for 12 months nonstop. Sometimes you, you have a bad game. And I think, you know, that, that those mistakes happened this weekend, happened at a time when when all of Milan's players had lost their head a bit. And, you know, I, I guess that the, the bigger accusation you could make against him is the fact that, you know, you're the captain here and you are an experienced player. And it's at that moment when we need you to show a bit more kind of, you know, control, I suppose. And he didn't do that. But in terms of the mistakes themselves, you know, I, it's the whole team that played poorly. Yeah, well, Milan need to bounce back quickly um, and, and we'll see if they can do that. Um, I want to move on to to a game that was on Saturday evening, actually, uh, and Atalanta beating Juve in Turin for the first time in, in about 30 years, I think it was. Um, a real rarity for, for Atalanta to get this win, but, but I guess not a complete surprise given the form of the two teams. I want to touch on Atalanta first that they seem to be building momentum, particularly in the league, not completely convincing in Europe this season, but they're getting there slowly in the league. After this weekend's results, seven points off top. They've closed the gap to Milan, only a few points behind Inter as well. Are they well in, are they well in this title race now, do you think? I think they are. Um, you know, they, they're seven points off the top, but to me, you know, if you're asking me if if Atalanta can from now until the end of the season can pick up more points than Milan and and Napoli, I think there is a chance that can happen. I think this is traditionally, if you look at the way they've they performed over the last two or three seasons, this is the time of year when they really take off. And compared to other years, 
it really feels like Atalanta have real depth. You know, at the moment, well, for the, for the whole season, basically, more or less, they've been playing without two of their best players, Hatterbor and Gozens. It sounds like they're both pretty close to coming back, but at the same time, there's no rush for them to be back because of how well, uh, you know, the other players have, have uh, filled in for them. Uh, they're already winning this evening. Uh, you know, we're recording while matches going on. Atalanta 2-0 up against Venezia. And um, that's, that's with Zapata, who was excellent this weekend. He doesn't even, even have to play. You know, they're playing with They're resting him. And uh, Ilicic and Muriel uh, um, have set up two goals for Palacic. So there's there's a lot of quality in that team. Uh, you know, there's real options for Gasparini. Probably the most depth he's ever had there. And um, yeah, that... that it was striking how how this weekend it was almost like a role reversal. Um, you know, we've seen Juve over the last 10 seasons kind of do this regularly to other teams in that they play a kind of plucky adversary who try hard, but you feel like they're never going to score. And then only for, 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 for Juve to win. And it felt like the opposite happened this weekend. It always felt like Atalanta were going to win this game. It always felt like they were going to be the ones scoring the goals. And even though they weren't, you know, they didn't dominate Juve and Juve played okay. And you could argue that it was pretty even. It never felt like Juve were going to score. And I think that is a sign of, of how far Atalanta have come. They, they feel like they deserve to be there. Um, I still wouldn't say they're favourites for the title, but I do think that they, they're in the race. Yeah, it's, it sort of feels as long as they can keep that gap between them and Napoli to single digits for the moment, and then they can sort of chip away at them as the season goes on, perhaps. Um, but from a Juve perspective, a, a horrible week, really. They, they were dismantled by Chelsea in the Champions League. Um, that, that was 4-0, of course. This one, 1-0. What, what is sort of going wrong for them? I, you know, we touched on this a few times, but can you put your finger on it exactly why they're doing so poorly? Um, I think they just don't seem to have a plan in the in the short term or in the long term. Um, you know, you could argue that the fact that Ronaldo, who always is the centre of a team, regardless of, of what you think of him, once he's there, you know, he has to be uh, the kind of player that... that that is considered heavily in the way the team plays. And the fact that he left, you know, a week before the end of the transfer market and they weren't really able to replace him meaningfully might have changed, you know, the way they set up and, and caused them a bit of a problem. But it does feel like Allegri since then hasn't, he just doesn't seem to know what his best team is at all. He, he does, there's no real consistency in the way they play. Sometimes they change formation, different players come in at different times and yeah, I'd say that is pretty disappointing. Um, you know, I still think Allegri can turn this around. I think he is a good manager, but but the fact that we're almost halfway through the season now and it doesn't seem to it doesn't when we no it doesn't seem any clearer as to how Juve's, you know, should set up or the best or, or even how Allegri thinks they should set up, it is a bit disappointing. I think that's that's what they need to do. They need to get to the point where they they're in a situation where People know their roles and and they at least know how how they're expected to play. And at the moment, it feels like we're no closer to knowing that than we were at the beginning of the season. With Allegri, I think when he left Juve the first time uh, back in 2019, I think at the time he was probably regarded in the top sort of half a dozen managers in world football, uh, given what he was able to do with them. It took them to a couple of Champions League finals. 
and, and maintain their domestic dominance, which started under Conte. Um, but since he's come back, that I've seen some of these accusations of him being a bit of a dinosaur playing this four four two. Is is that a bit harsh, or, or do you do you sort of go along with that view that maybe the way he's playing at the moment is a bit outdated and he's been left behind, and and, and perhaps that's why no club sort of picked him up while he had this two year gap from football. I think that Allegri is probably one of the most pragmatic managers. Uh, in Serie A, probably in Europe, in that he is very good at adapting to different situations. One of the reasons that I think his first stint at Juve worked out so well was because Conte had built a team that was extremely well coached. Everyone knew what they were doing. And when Allegri arrived, he didn't really need to do much. He just needed to carry things on. And he is the kind of manager who's able to do that. I mean, eventually he did change uh, formation a bit and he did make him his own team. But he didn't just undo everything that Conte had done. He, he could see the value in what Conte had done and he built on that. This time around, he's obviously coming into a different situation He where, you know, Pirlo had similar problems last season. Ronaldo's just left. It's a completely different situation. We, we know that you were in kind of a, a bit of a transition and maybe he is finding that a little bit more difficult, but I would argue that he's also coming into a situation that in itself on the face of it, does need a bit of more more time. And it would be probably be the same for any manager. You, you need time to change things when things aren't going well. I think he's going to get that time because of how much he gets paid, whether they, they like what he's doing or not. That, you know, I, I think it's unlikely that they'll pay him off because of how I think he's one of the best paid managers in, in the whole of Europe, not just in Serie A. So I, I'd be surprised if you could afford to just pay him off and get rid of him. And um, I'd say that is also a good thing because... One of the things that Juve did well, and I think any team that, that, that has success does well, is it gives the club continuity. And that's what they did so well after Conte left. They, they built a team that was starting to win. And they, that Allegri, because he is so adaptable, gave them that continuity. And in the last two or three seasons, they've undone all of that because they've changed managers three times and they've changed the way they played. And what they do need now, I think, more than anything, is a bit of stability. And... I don't agree that Allegri's a dinosaur. I think it's very harsh to judge him after half a season. I am a bit disappointed with what he's done. I think he could have done a better job and, and been better prepared for the situation. But, um, you know, it's it's not... The, 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 where the club are now is not really about what Allegri's done. Um, it's about what's happened before he was there. So I think he he deserves and will get some time to sort it out and, and we'll see what happens. The, the difficulty for you, though, I think now is that they they themselves are seven I think seven points off the top four and I feel like the top four you know might already be I, I think there's probably a very good chance that the top four the way it is now not necessarily in this order but the way it is now is probably the way that Serie A is going to finish so I think you they're probably going to miss out on Champions League qualification and that is going to be a big deal for them um, I mean it, we'll we'll see what happens there's a chance they can get back into it but I think they have to win all of their games until Christmas. And even then, you know, Atalanta seem like they're taking off. Inter seems to be in a very good place. Napoli seems to be in a very good place. Milan maybe are having a moment, but they've got a 10-point lead over Juve. So it's going to be difficult for them to get back into top four. We'll see what happens. And just the last thing I'd like to touch on with Juve, something that's come out in the last few days is, is about these uh, these transfer dealings and and the inflation of transfer values. Um, we've seen it's, it's being investigated at the moment. I think it's something like 42 deals across the last 
couple of years. Um, and, and, you know, if they are found guilty, they could have a punishment of anything from expulsion um, from the league to points deductions to, to just a fine, something like that. What's your sort of take on it? Um, you know, it, they've been caught up in issues before Juve, I suppose. Um, how, how does this compare? And, and, and what do you expect maybe the end result to be? I think uh, this it's, it's good that this investigation is happening because it is an area of the game that needs looking into. I think um, a lot of things happen with transfers that are just done to make things balance or make you know the club's books look a certain way. Um, and uh, there's no you know no one is it's not very clear. It's not very transparent how, how that's achieved. So it's good that this is being looked into. At the moment, it's just an investigation. We don't know if they've actually done anything wrong. Um, but and and I'm not that you know I'm not an expert in this kind of stuff. I mean, uh, it was explained to me that it's it's about uh, you know when you when you swap a player, it's about getting the full value of that player into your bottom line immediately, and then but but the player that you swap, his value is taken away gradually or something. But the, that's what the amortization is. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I hope that they haven't done anything wrong. But I also hope that this investigation leads to the to the league being more stringent in this kind of thing, uh, because uh, at the moment it seems like clubs are just doing whatever they can, and it's it does sound dodgy. The whole thing sounds dodgy. So it'd be good if we had some clarity on, on what was happening there, and and they stop these kinds of practices. The other thing I'd say is that. Juve were one of the biggest supporters of the European Super League. Um, and I think that is because they are in a situation where they can see that financially it's becoming very, very difficult for them to compete uh, on a European level with the, with the kind of European super clubs. Um, this, this kind of practice, I think, is all part of that. It's all part of trying to stretch their finances as much as possible. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that if they have done something wrong, I'm not saying that that justifies it, but it is a sign that it's becoming increasingly difficult for even some of the biggest European clubs to compete with those kind of super clubs who are either from the Premier League or backed by shakes and, and what have you. And they have these, this huge money. And going forwards, I can't see where that issue is going to end. Um, it's only going to become a bigger gap financially. So, yeah, I mean... It's interesting. It's all things to, to consider. Yeah, I, I, it, particularly, as you say, with the swap deals, I, I think a couple of things I've heard of uh, the, the sort of Pjanic and Artur uh, deal is being investigated uh, and Cancelo, Danilo is being investigated. So, yeah, these ones, um, yeah, we'll have to see. It, it, it could go on for quite a while, so we might not get an end, an end result for, for quite some time yet. Um I want to move on to Inter because, you know, on, on paper, their game wasn't as exciting as some of the others that we've touched on. Inter, they were playing Venezia, a game they were expected to win, and they did win fairly comfortably, 2-0. Um, they're also through to the last 16 in the Champions League, which is a huge achievement because they've been really struggling in that competition the last few years. So with them, would you say every, everything's quite positive and perhaps they're just sort of, coming up on the wayside while, you know, Napoli and Milan have had a bit of a stutter. Uh, they're looking pretty well placed, would you say? 
Yeah, definitely. I think Inter have had a great few weeks. Um, I think their performances have been good, but they have also been picking up those results. I actually think that this weekend, um, you know, they were less impressive in terms of their performance. They weren't great. But having said that, um, it never looked like they were going to concede. I think they had to like 24 shots, 12 on target. So even not playing at their best and resting a few of their players, they still completely dominated Venezia. And yeah, I think Inzaghi has got this team playing the way he wants them to. Um, he probably struggled. Well, I wouldn't say struggled, but he had a few little issues at the beginning of the season. They were conceding too, uh, a few too many goals. I think that is starting to go away. They've seemed a lot more solid uh, recently. And, um, you know, the, the Napoli win feels significant to me just because it, it's given them that belief that they can also beat the top sides. They'd struggled a bit against the, the top sides actually closing the games out. They hadn't actually struggled in terms of the games because I think they probably, if you look at the way those matches played out, they had the better of all those teams that they've played. Juve, Milan, Inter were the better side in those games, but they just weren't able to close those games out. So beating Napoli is significant. And, you know, you mentioned the Champions League. That is also very significant, something they weren't able to do with Conte get out of the group stage. They've done that now. So, yeah, things for Inter are looking really, really good. Um, they're probably the form team in Serie A, and the fact that they've managed to close the gap to just four points, they are definitely in the Scudetto race. Yeah, not much more to talk about with, with Inter this week. It was just a very professional performance, and, and as you say, they're ticking along nicely. I'd, I'd like to move on to Roma, um, because they're another team who, you know, they're, they're not in the form that Inter are in, obviously, but it seems like, they got a new manager this summer in Mourinho and the last three games, they've started to play like we'd expect a Mourinho side to play. Three clean sheets on the trot. Um, and, and, and yeah, w w would you say that he's really starting to stamp his authority on this side after, after what was a tricky sort of month or so before the latest international break? It, it looks that way. I, I agree with what you're saying there, Sam, about the fact that it looks like... It, certainly this weekend, it was much more Mourinho-like performance because uh, I actually think Torino were, were good, uh, probably had more of the play, but, but Roma were clinical. Um, <clears throat> and they were, they were able to create... You know, they scored, but they also, even though they didn't have a lot of the ball, they created a few other big chances. Um, and I feel like uh, he's changed the formation a little bit, which is which suits some of the players who did so well last season. Like Mkhitaryan's been much better uh, in the in the last few games. El Shirawi's had a really big impact coming off the wing. Um, and yeah, I'd, I've, there was a point where it felt like he was losing his way a bit this season. You're right. You know that apart from the Bodo glimpse, uh, you know thing where where they lost six one. What he said afterwards, it sounded like he was kind of undermining a few of his players and. You know, it felt it felt like Roma were going to fall away, but the last two or three games since that's happened, they've seemed a lot more solid. And um, yeah, I, I'm feeling positive about Roma right now. I think that uh, I still don't think because they're not they're going to qualify for the Champions League, but that's more about the quality of the sides that are up there. But I do feel like they are a better side than they were last season, and they could definitely qualify for Europe this year. And you know, Mourinho is is very experiencing in cup competitions, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them do well in the in the Conference League and and in the Italian Cup. And I th I think what you touched on there, it, it seemed maybe a month ago that he was starting to lose some of the players a little bit. He sort of alienated the fringe players. There were talk a couple talks a couple of weeks ago that him and Zaniolo had fallen out, but it seems 
quite unmourinho like actually, that he's been putting this stuff to bed. And, and Zaniolo has now come back into the team, played pretty well this weekend. So, it, it, you know, whilst it looked like things were getting a bit derailed, he seems to have brought it back quite well. So does he deserve a bit of credit for that, would you say, Mourinho? Yeah, definitely. The, the other thing that he has on his side is that Roma seem to have really taken to him. You know, I'm talking about the, the city and the fans. They seem to really like Mourinho. And you can see why. He is a, he's a genial character. He's, he's easy to get on board with Mourinho when he is managing the team you support. Uh, he's entertaining. I know he comes out and says some some interesting things, but he, he's a he's a likable man and um you know you feel like he really buys into the cause uh, of the club that he is managing um and i think the daniolo thing is important uh the fact that he's backed him publicly the fact that he said he needs to be defended we need to look after him and and also how daniolo's responded you know you, you mentioned that he played quite well this weekend yeah i thought he was one of everyone's best players so it's a it's a good thing and uh yeah i i'm I'm a big fan of, of Mourinho being in Serie A and I think Roma have done a, a good thing bring him in. And um, yeah, hopefully, you know, they, they could still qualify for the Champions League. I don't think they will, but they, they have a shout. And, um, you know, if they'd kept, uh, if they'd kept going how they, how they had last season, they probably wouldn't be in this position. So I think, yeah, things are looking good for Roma. Yeah, I, you could particularly see, uh, you know, we're obviously only watching on the TV, but you could see the crowd before the game when they're all singing the anthem. And it's, it seems like it's a really united club at the moment, which which is good to see. The final thing on Roma and uh, is, is Tammy Abraham. And his season seems to have gone a bit like Mourinho's in a way, actually, where he started brightly, had a bit of a drop off and has now come back again. Um how would you overall assess how he's settled into Syria? I think he's 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 got three in his last two games, including a couple in the Europa Conference League. W- would you say he's really settled in? He's now starting to get his rewards because it seemed like he wasn't getting the goals that perhaps his play deserved. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying is right, Sam. Um, I think he's been good all season. I don't think that his performances have been bad at any point. But he probably was uh, not scoring as many as maybe he should have or as he he deserved to. So the fact that he's picking up goals now as well is important. I think he's also, you know, it's important to to say that he is the kind of player that Mourinho does. He he likes certain players for whatever reason, and you get the feeling that he really likes Tammy Abraham, the way he plays, the way he is. Um, and so I think he is going to get a lot of support from the manager all the way through the season, and that's only going to help him. Um, but I think overall, if you consider how some strikers have really struggled uh, coming into new leagues, um, you know, I think when when Zeko first played in Serie A, he, he scored five goals for Roma in his first season, something like that. So he had a poor first season, and then the, the season after, he was the top scorer in the league, and we know he's gone on to be one of the, one of the best strikers in the league for the last few years. So, uh, you know, I don't know if Abraham will do that, but but if you compare the starts that they had, you'd, you'd say that Abraham has, has had a better start than him and a better start than many other kind of high-profile strikers who've gone on to do really well in the league. So I'd say overall, yeah, really positive start. Yeah, certainly seems to seems to be getting better and better the last last couple of games. Um, I want to move on to the Empoli-Fiorentina game, uh, Tuscan derby this weekend. And it looked like Fiorentina were going to pick up all three points. And then they ended up getting nothing, conceding a couple of goals late on. Um 
these two sides both played Tuesday night, actually, so things could completely turn around and, and we look like fools. But I just want to get your opinion on Fiorentina, really, so far. We're, we're a bit over a third of the way through the season, now under Vincenzo Italiano. Um, it, it's, it's strange because I, I think they're up in six going into these ground of games, although there's about three or four teams on 21 points, so it's really close. But how would you assess how they're getting on this season? It seems they've taken a step forward, but they're still dropping these silly points. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, they have taken a huge step forward. And if you're a Fiorentina fan, overall, you could you could only be happy about how things have gone so far. They've had some really big wins. Um, generally, their play has been excellent. They're a good team to watch. Looks like Italiano's completely changed the way that uh, you know, they were from last season where they seemed like a lackluster team. I think at one point they looked like they were going to be in a in a relegation battle. It feels like this season they've he, he's completely galvanised them. And he's, you know, also some players who, who barely played last season have, have become, you know, real, really good again. Uh, and the, but but you're right to, to, to mention the Empoli game. It, you know, I'd like to see Fiorentina do well because of who they are. I think they've got a good a good and um, ambitious owner as well. I like Comiso. He's an interesting guy. And it's a, it's, but, but this also feels like a real opportunity for them um, because some of the other sides like Lazio, um, like Juve, like Roma to a lesser extent have had a few hiccups as well. And this weekend, if you look at the fact that, that Juve lost and Lazio lost, but they had tough opponents, it was a real opportunity for Fiorentina kind of to kind of take an extra step away from those teams, and they played quite well. But I feel like if they're going to make the most of the season uh, and qualify for Europe, then they need to make sure they win those kinds of games where they 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 were basically dominant and they ended up conceded two goals at the end. So, but but overall, you you have to be happy with what they've done and with what what Italiano's doing. Um, they look like a really settled uh, and solid team and. Um, I, I think that you know they, they've got a real chance to qualify for Europe, and yeah, if they cut out this kind of uh, defeat as well, who knows? They could even be in the running for a Champions League place. And of course, in in midweek, well tonight actually, they're, they're taking on Sampdoria, and I know that Sampdoria has been been an interesting team to follow this season because. They, it seems they played quite well for most of the season under Roberto Diversa, but Diversa was beca- was getting under a lot of pressure. Um, I, I don't know what exactly the ambitions of the club are. You know, I, I think they'll struggle to finish above mid-table personally, but it seems they want a lot more from him. But they got a win against Verona this weekend to make it a couple of wins on the bounce. Um, you, you've always said that you thought they'd be okay if they stuck with Diversa. Do you think you're now being proved right and, and they're starting to take some some real steps forward? Yeah, I think Diversa has done a good job there. I think they made some intelligent signings as well. I, I, you know, Kand- I like Kandreva. I think he's he's had an amazing start to the season as well. But um, also people like Caputo, I, I, you know, they're the kind of players who they might not be able to do it anymore in the very top clubs but for a team like Samp who are kind of in have been in the bottom half the last few seasons they're good signings and you know what you say is right if if the Sandaria president and board think that Samp are anything other than a mid-table team at this stage then I'm not surprised that you know they're struggling to to consult to, to reconcile the fact that he's he's only in the bottom half of the table but realistically 
that's all that Samp can hope for because teams like Fiorentina, like Lazio, like Juve are significantly better than them. And even Sassuolo, they, they are significantly better than Samp. So it's, I think it's very unrealistic to expect Daversa to be able to challenge for a European place, say, with this squad of players. I think they're, they're a solid team and they're going to, if he carries on there, they're going to easily avoid the drop. You know, they're going to, they're going to finish the table, but if they want more than that, then they need to change the way the clubs run, really. Yeah, let's see. Let's see what their actual expectations are. But it seems he's given himself a little bit of breathing space for now, at least. Um, two teams who, who are under a lot of pressure are Cagliari and Salernitana. Um, you know, heading into this weekend, they were the bottom two clubs. They're still the bottom two clubs heading into midweek after a one-all draw. Um I, I get the feeling you think both these sides are going to go down, but if, if you had to predict which one's more likely to avoid the drop, who would you say? I'd say Cagliari, and I'd say that because if you look at the team that Cagliari have, the squad of players, there are some really good footballers in that team. You know, I, This weekend, for example, they started with Keita Bard and um, João, João Pedro up front, who are two very solid Serie A strikers, and then Pavoletti came on for the, from the bench and he actually scored the goal. And we're talking about three very good strikers that could play, you know, right the way through the teams in Serie A. They, they, they're not relegation level strikers. These guys could play at a higher level. And uh, it's like that the, the whole way through the team. They have other very good players. I, you know, you know this, Sam. I'm not a big fan of Mazzari. I think, you know... They made a mistake when they brought him in and they've been pretty disastrous since they brought him in. They were actually better this weekend. They, they played okay and probably deserved to win. I think Salernitana were lucky to get away with a point. But yeah, if I had to pick out of those two sides, I'd pick Cagliari, but I wouldn't be confident about either. And moving on to a game between two, two lower half sides, which was Spezia against Bologna. Bologna got the 1-0 away win. There's there's not too much to talk about from this game, to be honest, other than I saw a quote afterwards from Mihailovic saying that Bologna were quite dominant in this game. And I believe he told the players, if you don't win this game and basically be clinical, you're going to walk back to Bologna. These are the kind of lines that that we like from managers in Syria, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Uh, he sh- yeah, and it worked. You know, they they pulled the win out, uh, and um, maybe he should do it more often. He's a uh, he's quite a likable character, Mihailovic, and I to to I was quite um, you know I I I said that Bologna were pretty rubbish earlier on in the season. I think um, at one point I said that this you know it wasn't surprising because they they went for a period of conceding kind of four goals a game, and I said that wasn't surprising, and that's kind of what I'd expect. And to be fair to them, they have been a. I think they've been much better this season than they were last season. You can see that in the results. I mean, he's also right that they were dominant. Um, they they should have beaten Spezia easily this weekend. They created loads of chances, and in the end, it was just an Arnautovic penalty that did it for them. And yeah, they're playing well. They're in a great position. I think they're level on points with Lazio and Juve. So if you think how how good those you know compared if you compare the squads and the what we expect of those two sides, then they're having an excellent season. And right now, they're, they're not that far off the European places. Um, I think uh, it's very unlikely that they qualify for Europe just because of the competition more than what they're doing. But this is the best that we've seen Bologna for a while. And um, 
Also defensively, they've been rubbish for such a long time. This is another clean sheet. I think they've had two or three of those this season. So Mihailovic definitely deserves some credit and, and Bologna, the, the players do as well because they are playing well and they're, they're doing okay. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the case right now. And the final game from the weekend that we had to touch on um, was Genoa-Udinese, which which finished nil-nil. Um, two games into Shevchenko's reign, or, or it might be three by the time this, this podcast goes out. Um, the early signs, what do you make? Is it, is it still a bit too early to tell? Or, or you know, should, should they be relatively pleased with what he's brought to the table so far? I think I watched this game and uh, it was uh, a terrible watch, uh, but that's not necessarily a, a bad thing for for Shevchenko. Uh, I, uh, after losing his first game, I suppose getting a draw uh, away from home against a decent side in Udinese is not the worst result. Um, but I think, yeah, it's it's way too early to tell. I hope that he plays some more expansive, interesting football you know, in the rest of his tenure, because if it's like that every every week, then, yeah, it's going to be boring for the Genoa fans. But I, I guess one of the issues that, that uh, you know, did for, did for the previous manager is that Genoa actually had quite a few entertaining games earlier in the season, but they were they were sort of coming off the wrong end of, you know, five goal thrillers and seven goal thrillers. So maybe getting that base of keeping a clean sheet is, is something to build on, perhaps? Yeah, definitely. You're right. I mean, if it, it, it's it's much easier to build a more expansive game on a on a solid defence. I think once once you get that defence sorted, so it probably makes sense to to make them more solid start off with. And yeah, I, I like Shevchenko. I think he's done good things. You know, he's done good things in Ukraine, and he's a he's a very likable character. I think he's well loved by kind of the Italian football world because of what he did in Italy, and he seems to be you know still in love with the country himself. So. I think he, you know, there's, there's everything there for him to be successful in Serie A. And um, yeah, if he, I mean, if he can keep Genoa up um, and uh, kind of give himself a base on which to build on, then uh, I don't see why he couldn't go on to, to good things again as a manager in Italian football. And to finish off the episode, I, I want to switch away from club football and move to international football because. Of course, last Friday we had the World Cup uh, playoff draw and I think the the worst nightmare of all Italy fans came true um, in that, you know, Italy's semi-final draw doesn't look bad at home to North Macedonia, but should they come through that, they will probably have to travel to Portugal to book their place at next year's World Cup. What's your sort of reaction to the to the draw? Are you Are you dreading it a little bit? Yeah, I am. I mean, <laughs> I was dreading it before the draw. Uh, and I think I would have taken anything other than having to play Portugal away. Uh, so any other combination um, would have been, would have probably been, at least on paper, easier than this. I suppose the the positive thing is that Italy over the last few games at least have been better against the bigger sides um, and Portugal have not been you know the, the reason that both these sides find themselves in this situation that neither have been great recently um, and you know I think whilst Portugal are, are a great side and it's going to take a lot to beat them I don't think they're unbeatable I think if Italy play at their best they have they do have a good chance um, and obviously they have to beat Macedonia first uh, so yeah, I mean, 
the, the disappointing thing is is the fact that they find themselves in the situation to start off with because they they were in such a strong position in the group it wasn't a particularly strong group and they should have qualified directly from that but yeah it is uh it is a worrying draw i think i think it's going to be difficult it seems uh looking at it that perhaps portugal have the better individual players if you go through the team looking at the likes of ronaldo bernardo silva Bruno Fernandes, Diogo Jota, Ruben Diaz, you know, some, some really high-class players there. But maybe Italy have the better team in, in terms of the way that all the players complement one another. W would you agree with that or, or do you disagree? Not to say that Italy don't have some really good individual players, but maybe Portugal hold the edge on, on an individual level? I think, you know, that's, that's probably true. Um Although I think it's close. And I, I, the other thing I'd say about Portugal is whilst they are, they probably aren't the most fluid international side. Um, and I think maybe that's one of the things they get criticised for a little bit is the fact that they have so many good technical players, but maybe they don't really show it when they all come together as a team. One of the things they are good at is they are, they are a smart team. You know, they have players who, who know how to win games. They're, they're an experienced, you know, they've got lots of experience. So they're going to be good on on that level as well. I, I think it's going to be really tough for Italy. I, th I think, and I don't know, I, sp I suppose the thing that makes me confident a little bit is that if Italy have all of their midfield fit, um, I think they they can really outplay other sides. Um, I think we saw that in Euros. That was their really, that real point of strength is, is the midfield. If Ferrati and Jorginho and Barella are all there and playing well, then then even a team with, with as much talent as Portugal is going to struggle to live with that. Uh, the, the problem is that we don't know if they're going to be fit. Um, you know, Verratti's had lots of injuries recently. He's missed some really high-profile games with, with his club side and with Italy. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is worrying. But, you know, Italy still have a, a, a good chance of going through. I think in a, in a game, it's, it's clear. I, I wouldn't know which, you know, even as a neutral, I think. I, I mean, you'll probably... In a better position to comment but even as a neutral i think it'd be difficult to call who would come through that match if it happens yeah well i i guess with the home advantage if, if it does turn out to be portugal italy and of course they both got to get through their semi-finals first with the home advantage i guess maybe portugal enter that game with slight favorites but of course we saw serbia beat them in portugal a couple of weeks ago so it's it's far from a done deal um yeah I, I, spring, I, I, with on yeah. that thing, I'm, I'm not as bothered about the home advantage. I just think Portugal are a good sign. It doesn't matter where you play them. Yeah. I actually think that Italy as well, they they have felt the pressure of a home crowd recently. I mean, against Switzerland, uh, I think they felt it. And also, I think, I mean, it's quite a long time ago now. It's a completely different side. But thinking back to that Sweden match where they knew they had to win at San Siro, they, I think they really felt the pressure. So in those situations, I think it's not as much of an, an advantage as, as you think it can, uh, you know, it's going to be. I think it can be an advantage, but it can also be a disadvantage. So I'm not as bothered about that. It's just the fact that, that if they get through to the final, Portugal, who, who probably you'd expect them to beat Turkey, will be such a, you know, they are such a good side. Yeah, I, I, I guess the worry from an Italian perspective is that um, it, it seems that Portugal haven't clicked as a team for the last couple of years. They obviously won the Euros five years ago. And I, I think we can all agree that on paper, their current side is significantly stronger than the team that won the Euros. So you feel that 
could they finally get it together and click? And it, and if they do do that, they're going to be very difficult to beat. But but they haven't been able to do that yet. Um, the the last thing I wanted to touch on is I, I've seen some people saying, you know, one of Italy and Portugal are going to miss out, possibly both teams. This shouldn't happen. They're two of the best teams in the world, and there should be extra places for European nations uh, at, at the World Cup. I don't agree with this view because I, I think, you know, it's a World Cup and, and different continents need to have, you know, a certain number of teams in the competition so that they can so they can improve. Um, but how, how do you feel about the fact that, you know, a, a big nation is going to miss out? We have seen big nations in the past miss out. Italy and the Netherlands missed out in 2018. So where, where do you stand on that? Um. I think that uh, this is, uh, I mean, I hate this kind of talk that because of base, people are just making excuses and, you know, there has to be a meritocracy. Um, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't want Italy just to qualify because they, they've had success in the past or because they're considered a big international team. But I think there is some, you know, I can see the point, their point that these people are saying, and there probably is some truth to the fact that because there is, in some cases, there are there is a huge discrepancy, for example, between some of the teams that are not going to qualify from, from Europe and maybe the the fourth placed team in the in the Concacaf, you know, in, in the North American qualification, which is going to qualify. I think that the difference in in quality of those two sides is probably going to be quite high. Yeah. And so I don't know if if maybe it does need to be looked at again, but at the same time, I, I it depends what you're after. I, I agree with you that the World Cup should be a representation of the of the whole world as much as possible. I also do think that uh, you know we are going a bit too far with that. Um, you yeah. know, if you if you think about the where the next World Cup is going to be, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure about what what FIFA are thinking there. I mean, I I have an idea of what they're thinking, but. Um, it's, 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 it's about, um, I suppose, it's, it's having the balance of it representing the whole world and representing the football world. Uh, so maybe, yeah, maybe there is an argument to have um, more European sides there or maybe a, a way to, for, the, for the European sides and sides from other continents to play off against each other to see who actually deserves to be there, possibly. But um, I don't think that's some, that's an argument that you have after your team's just failed to qualify, you know, direct. I think is something that needs to, to to be at the start of the process, and otherwise it just looks like sour grapes. Yeah, and of, of course the next World Cup's due to be forty eight teams, isn't it? So it it seems like probably this is, World Cup is going to be the final uh, one where we have this sort of argument because if you can't qualify for the forty eight team World Cup then you know you really have no one to blame but yourself i don't i don't i, don't, I think that that would be ridiculous sour grapes if you can't qualify for for that one so yeah well of course we've still got to wait another another you know three or four months for those playoff games but that could be a, a you know a great spectacle so uh, let's see how that one plays out. But thanks for joining me Francesco and thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we shall catch you again next week. Ciao.